With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today, once again, I'm delighted to be joined on the Axon Bulletin by Jim Orr and Laura Bradburn. Welcome back, it must be a Friday because I can see you two guys as the Friday Club, welcome back. Yeah, another week down, they come around faster than you think. They certainly do. Uh, another week down, Laura, another 4 nothing away victory, we'll get into all of that, but uh, obviously we need to discuss the report that has come out, uh, the Scottish 
Scottish FA final independent report into the non-recent sexual abuse in Scottish football. Celtic have responded about 45 minutes ago to uh, the recommendations that uh, the report had 95 recommendations. Celtic have responded to say that um, the, the regret and sorrow to all those affected across Scottish football, including at Celtic Football Club and Celtic Boys Club, something which the independent review acknowledged and welcome. And today we iterate this apology. Celtic will continue to work with the SFA in respect of the recommendations in this report. It's one of these situations that, you know, it's taken three years for that report to come along. I can't imagine the emotional heartache that that's caused for those involved, everybody involved. It's a scandal, really, that's been at the heart of the, the national game for some time. I think what we want is we want the, the right thing to, to be done. We want uh, all the victims to be uh, treated uh, with the utmost respect. Uh, and I don't think you'll ever get closure on this in terms of the victims. They'll never get closure no matter what happens. But it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be aired. It, the, the apologies need to happen. And I'm, I'm all, you know, after that, there will be legalities involved in relation to the victims as well. So, Jim, it's welcome that uh, this is finally progressing. The The results of that report, uh, the recommendations were released yesterday in a near 200-page document, uh, which, you know, Incidentally, people are able to to consume and comment upon very quickly. I, I took some time last night and this morning to read through that. So it's great that the club have come out and responded, and obviously we will continue to look at that situation as it develops. Yeah, I think I mean, every week we tend to talk about fluff. The football is just a game. This is a, a very serious issue, and you have to watch what you say about this. And it's good that the club have eventually came out and, and said something, because obviously they've been very careful about what they say and the words that they use um, but yeah as you said a minute ago it would be good to have some sort of closure for the victims basically because it's been on far far too long and uh, I'm actually of an age group that when the, when the first trial came uh, to be at Celtic Boys Club the guys are the same age as me and, and I, I know a couple of the guys that had to, had to testify so I know a wee bit more about this stuff which I'm not going to comment on at this point in time but 40-50 years ago it was a different world to what we live in just now. I mean, people turned a blind eye to lots of things, you know, sexism, homophobia, racism, verbal abuse, physical abuse, etc. Et I mean, if I, I'm actually part of the generation who were physically abused at school by teachers, by law, mm. we used to get melted. Mm. So, so, so it's, it's no great surprise that this kind of stuff at the time would have been swept under the carpet by whoever swept under the carpet, but it needs a bit of closure. It needs, it needs full closure uh, for the victims because these these uh, young guys have had to live their life through this and as I said they're about the same age as me so they've had a lifetime of this and needs closure absolutely does um, and as I say just before coming on over the last hour Celtic have made a statement it's on their their website and uh, they have been asked I think the report recommended that uh, various clubs issued that apology uh, you might be wondering why there's only three squares on and I'm calling you squares in the nicest possible uh, manner on the screen at the moment. Um, I don't know which Haggerty I invited to this broadcast, but it wasn't Anthony, so who knows who that is? I'm going to have to check who I invited to the, the broadcast, and if they do appear, I'm going to have to ignore them. So I've resent it to Tony. Welcome to the show, Tony. Sorry it's taken a couple of minutes to get you involved. Um, we were just saying, uh, Anthony, in relation to the fact that obviously this, this three-year independent um, review uh, has concluded, and there's 95 recommendations. Celtic have responded to that over 
the last hour. Uh, we are looking, obviously, at the situation in relation to, um, you know, the, the amazing courage, actually the people who have contributed to uh, their own testimonies to this report and hopefully they will get closure of some description. They can never get full closure in such a situation like this, Tony. No, they won't get full closure on it, but I think it's incumbent upon the clubs that are all named and shamed in that document to look after the victims, offer them compensation moving forward and support at all various stages down the line. That's the, That's all that they can do now, but uh, it's just, it made absolutely horrific and grim reading, didn't it? If you, if you read, if you oh, read it did. It did, you know. It's a, and it's a blight on Scottish football that you, and a stain that you'll, you'll never remove. And it's always, in this situation, always going to be about the victims. Yeah, absolutely. For them anything uh, else. Absolutely is. And, um, you know, again, the Celtic statement is out there for fans to, to have a look at. And for any other Haggerty's who are in my contact list, I apologise unreservedly for uh, randomly asking you to join a Celtic broadcast. Tony, you're always welcome here at the table. Uh, there's a lot happening, as always. Laura was saying it's a long week in Celtic. It always is. Uh, it's a short week uh, because it doesn't seem like a week since you were here, but loads have happened. Loads has happened since then. Another 4 nothing away victory for Celtic. I am yesterday have Celtic found their mojo Tony have they found their mojo I think uh, I think by and large a lot of that game was pretty bog standard wasn't it substandard until the three goals and what was it three minutes five minutes or something kind of glossed over the fact that they, they won for nothing in the end but for a large majority of that game Celtic weren't they that impressive were they uh, maybe I'm watching a different game from other people but the three goals in a short space of time kind of put a gloss on it that most people supporting Celtic wouldn't have seen coming. I mean, if they're into some kind of rhythm, because that's a couple of decent wins, I'll, I'll, I'll talk up the positive on that. But you sort of turn around and you think, is it too little, too late? And if Celtic end up finishing second by nine points or something around that that region then everybody's just going to the Dubai trip was a disaster this, this is what I'm constantly looking at Anthony I'm constantly looking at obviously the, the points deficit which has been fairly embarrassing you know we're sitting there 21 points behind that's even after Rangers dropped a couple of points to Hamilton and um, you're, you're working out well we've got another game in hand we've got another two Glasgow derbies you know what is the gap going to be close to if anything um, is it the maximum that we're going to get is it going to be nine points even then I think that masks a, a fairly disastrous season uh, that we're only losing out to three games but then my mind goes back to January Laura it goes back to January where we've, we've dropped 12 points so even if prior to Dubai we lose the game at Ibrox you know there's still another nine points that we've dropped and then you say well architects of our own demise you know the Dubai thing um, is one of many things we've done wrong this season but it'll be very frustrating if the deficit is only nine points come the end of the season yeah, I think um, I think once the slight moral outrage and all that about Dubai uh, sort of died down, you know, travelling in the middle of a pandemic and all the stuff that we've gone over ad nauseum, 
the one thing that people didn't want to happen thereafter was for it to have a direct detrimental effect on the actual football season, uh, which, while not as important as the main reason you follow the club, obviously. I think... um, Russell's been particularly vocal from what I've seen of him on uh, the coverage of the games and uh, on on Mondays when he's on with Kevin. Uh, he he has said from from a wee while back, you know, if if it turns out that some of the vital points dropped in January, partly because we had players shielding and all that kind of thing, if that turns out to have a very direct effect on the gap then it's going to just be all the more uh, frustrating because as we've seen already we only needed to put a couple of wins together and uh, Rangers look as if they uh, you know, while while we're not within touching distance of them yet, they certainly look as if they respond negatively when pressure's put upon them. Um, The only problem we've had this season is that we haven't put that pressure on them as yet so um, all we can do from this point going forward is keep winning games, keep keep moving forward and uh, keep trying to close that gap. To to, to, uh, sort of expand on something Tony said just there um, I, I tweeted, I think it was in the middle of the first half but it was some of the most uninspiring football I think I've ever seen. Like the first 50, 60 minutes of that match. Like we went 1 0 up, but it was pretty turgid stuff. And uh, to be honest, if I was a if I, if I was a fan of the opposition, I would I would feel a bit aggrieved to have come away with a four nil uh, loss because I think I think we were flattered by it. To be honest, I think we just ended up uh, ironically showing uh, showing a bit of elite fitness compared to the opposition and, and, and they crumbled in the face of that and that's what caused us to get you know three goals in three minutes or whatever it was um, but still not to not to complain about a 4-0 win or too far too few and far between this season so, so I'll take it Jim on that point that Laura makes and Anthony in actual fact I think you know it was the classic game of two halves but again that came down to the fact that David Turnbull I felt was very well managed in the first half of that game his impact in the second half partly due to him moving um, or swapping along you know, with, with Tommy Rogic and becoming more central really highlights for me just how influential he is in the Celtic side when he plays we tick he seems to be the glue in all of this you know we've got for me Ayer and Welsh and hopefully we'll talk about Welsh hopefully that's our, our pairing till the end of the season you know once Welsh comes back from his, his bruising uh, up front you've got you know, you've got Edward plus A and other, and hopefully it will be a Yeti if, if Griffiths can't get back in the side. And, you know, and then you've got some other decent performers, but you need someone to orchestrate it. And I think that was really quite clear to me that when Turnbull starts playing Celtic Tick. Jim Orr, that's yeah, one for you. Just to echo Laura's comments, please, have you good? Uh, just Laura's comments, I actually fell asleep in the first half watching the game tonight. I've that for years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because of old. It's just, it was just turgid, as you say. It's a hard, hard watch. But I thought, actually, the last half hour, they played really well. I thought the first hour against Motherwell, they played well. I think looking forward, because I think we've done stuff to death about Dubai in January, as I said last week, the most embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing months in the club's history. We have to move on from that, because we're just going over old, uh, old stuff. Uh, I'd like to see us put in a few 90-minute performances between now and the end of the season. We haven't done that this season. That would be good. Win every game going in. Uh, David Turnbull certainly will be at that. Uh, win the two Glasgow derbies quite convincingly. Uh, I think that's a, 
our aim for the rest of the season. It's still very hard to get enthusiastic about it because of nothing much has happened with this internal review. So I think until we know a bit more about that, I'm still a bit, still a bit scunnered the whole thing because until the season is over, it's, as I've said before, it's a kind of death by a thousand cuts. Even though we're winning well, it's still a hard watch, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't fast, free-flowing football that a 4 nothing might might suggest. But I'm looking at the, the fixtures themselves. Uh, you know, St Mirren, when was the last time he won 4 nothing? I think it was commented on uh, during the game. It was some time ago uh, at that park. And it was the same at Kelly. You know, that's not a ground that uh, historically we go and, and give them a turn and over. It's normally a 1-0, sometimes a draw, sometimes worse. So I'm happy with two 4 nothing away wins, but I'm not getting too carried away with it. I don't think that um, I've seen enough in those performances that would suggest that we've turned a massive corner. Um, although when you listen to Neil Lennon, Tony, you know, he comes out and, and basically says this is the kind of form that we've been looking for. He seems to paint it in a completely different light, doesn't he? I mean, the big question, of course, is uh, where we're going in the future. Surely, uh, as has been suggested in some quarters, we don't go into next season with Neil Lennon, Neil Lennon at the helm. Yeah, I mean, we, we've covered this extensively, as Jim says, and other topics, but a lot of the supporters do not want Neil Lennon at the helm. You know, and, and Neil Lennon can dress this up all he wants. For the supporters, this is too little, too late. You know, two four no wins, great magic. But as I say, you just touched on there. It's not been free scoring, rip roaring, never boring Celtic, as people like to call them. You know, it hasn't been like that. They've been two four no wins. That okay, we kind of grind it out. Well, we're not being at our best. And Neil Lennon can see what he likes. That's not a, a typical, two typical Celtic performances. We'll take it. But it, it, at times it's been absolutely dreadful to watch. You know, you've sat there and you've kind of went, okay, and, and you just, you do want to know what's going on, who will be at the helm uh, next season. You know, that that's the biggest question. And, and yeah, okay, we might eat into the gap, but players are playing with the pressure off as well. So it's easier to kind of play the way Celtic are playing just now because... There's no real pressure because the fans have lost faith and there's no real expectation. expectation it's interesting, it's interesting, Tony, sorry, that you say that because I was actually watching uh, Albina Jetty's uh, press conference yesterday and he didn't even try to put up any pretense that he's feeling any pressure. He actually specifically mentioned the fact that there's no fans in the stadium. Uh, it's, it's making the, pay, uh, the players feel less pressure. Now, whether from a PR point of view the, the club would have been happy with him saying that, I, I, I don't know. But he, he certainly seems to suggest from what he's saying that uh, they are feeling a difference. Um, that, that to me is not an excuse because other teams in the league are still able to... It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. To put in some great performances without their own fans, so I don't know what makes us different, but it was just interesting to see him come out and say that directly. And I I did have a wee laugh as well, because one of the reporters said to him, you know, what's changed in the last three games that's turned the team's fortunes around and I think what he wanted to say was well I'm finally getting picked but he obviously didn't go as far as to say that I I don't think personally that he's having the direct impact on the improvement but you know he can't help but feel you know I I deserve a shot and and I'm in the team so that must be making a difference but yeah going back to the point you you made the, the lack of fans in the stadium the change of circumstances I think is having an effect you know they would they would be feeling a lot more negatively about the situation, I think, if they had 60,000 fans on their backs because of the performances they've been putting in. Or, 20, or 25,000 fans, as it might have been at this stage of the season. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony, I'm just going to go back. You were to, Was it never boring, rip-roaring, free-scoring whilst Jim Orr, Jim Orr is lying on his couch snoring? Have you ever <laughs> have you ever fallen asleep watching Celtic? Come on, this must be a first. Is this an age thing, Jim? <laughs> I don't think I've fallen asleep. No, it's not. I don't think I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was going to say to play, to try to be fair about the whole thing. I think it's a bit of a catch-22 for Celtic at the moment because if they were to drop points, we'll get on their back. And if they win well, we'll get on their back because we'll see why didn't you do this earlier in the season. So I don't think they can win either way. And that's why it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. And that's why we can't wait to the, the season finish. The worst is already you know, the worst has yes. already happened. You know, the horse has bolted on this season. You know, and, and, they're, and they're playing now. There's not a lot of pressure on them now. All they're doing is playing to try and reduce the gap. And what they've got to play for now is the two Rangers games and hopefully win them and restore a wee bit of pride and give the fans something to maybe look forward to under a new regime next season with the players that you're talking about, Paul John, David Turnbull, Albina, yeah, Laura's mentioned as well, maybe having some impact it can give you something positive to take into the next campaign. Hopefully, we all agree under a new regime. We'd like to know sooner rather than later about that. You know, like the director of football or whoever's coming in. But again, as Jim says, they just want this season over and done with because it's it's been dreadful. It's been absolutely dreadful and. I think I said a, I think I said a similar thing at the end of uh, the the match the other night. You know, there was a bit of confliction and emotion uh, when we started winning games again because I'm desperate for Neil Lennon to go, obviously. But I've reached the point now where. I don't see them going. I don't see them making that decision before the end of the season. So I'm actually back to a stage of saying, well, the results are going to have no impact on whether he's here or not. So I may as well enjoy the victories when they come between now and the end of the season and we'll see what happens in the summer. 
I think when I'm watching Celtic at the moment, <clears throat> I'm looking at any of the kind of bright sparks who may form part of the team next season. That That's pretty difficult though, Anthony, when you think about the, the whole uh, wealth of players who may well be on their way. We've already seen that mass exodus beginning with uh, Frimpong, El Hamid and Cham. Uh, and yesterday I said, surely we cannot allow Christie, Eduard and Ayer all to leave this pre-season I mean that for me it's almost unsalvageable I mean it's, it's a huge rebuilding job if that was to happen Well they will leave this season if the right offer comes in and I think if to be understood there's offers of a lot of attraction in Eddie a lot of attraction in Ayer Christie's probably the one that I'm, I'm not so sure about maybe someone down south might take a, a punt in Christie but if it's the right offer and the right money comes in those three players will leave the club but yeah, you then have to say the money they get in, it has to be reinvested in bringing in similar or better players. If you can get similar or better players, but they have to bring in like for like. They cannot cut corners and bring in players of lesser quality because then you will face another season like you've just had if you do that. But if you're going to sell three your prize assets and you probably get decent top dollars for them, then you have to bring in guys, you know, no more projects. We discussed this a couple of a few shows ago fed up with projects the fans are fed up with guys that they think they're taking a punt on and could punt on for, for more than that you know go out and get tried and tested players right you, you talk, people keep mentioning Ivan Tony, who's been scoring goals right left and centre Brentford since he made the move right you don't need to be told that that boy could score goals so if you're a goal scorer you'll score goals at any level yeah the quality goes up right but you're a goal scorer it's what you do Ivan Tony was a player that was tailor-made for Celtic, yet they they, they never went out and got him. And now they're, they're you know, they're, uh, they're cursing that, cursing their luck on that one. You know, so none of these hard luck stories. If they want somebody, they're tried and tested, they think they can do a job, go and get them. Because the fans are fed, sick fed up with hard luck stories, same with the defender that just signed for Liverpool as well. None of this, you know, and see if you're, see if you're ambitious as well, go and ask the question about John Joe Kenny. Because he's made a big difference he came into the side and people like the look of him. And if he likes the look of us, then go and ask the question, would you fancy signing for us? You know, because players like that is what you need. You can't get enough good players in your team. You see when people say to me, him and him can't play together? I think that's complete and utter nonsense. You cannot get enough good footballers in your team. Because if you get enough good footballers in your team, you'll be a right good team. It's, It's no rocket science. Just that one position um, specifically, if we, if we focus on that, Tony, like you say, we've got a player here who's come in, um, he's got the credentials, he's got a calibre about him and you see the fact that I've said it time and time again, it gives you more of a balance because it's about defending first, uh, whereas Frimpong was a completely different story. But go back to our first real regular right back in terms of a defender, because, you know, the defensive side of Frimpong's game um, left a lot to be desired, if you ask me. And it's it's Mikhail Lustig. You know, it's Lustig. And since then, we've brought in, you know, Toyam, we've brought in Maurice Boyer. You, you know, Frimpong's played quite a few games. So it's a false economy, isn't it? Unless you actually go out there and buy the ready made player. Now, what I've seen 
seen uh, looking at the you know the previous workings of Dominic Mackay is that he does like to increase uh, profits and turnover and then reinvest the profits into into the uh, organisation. Jim, do you think that is something that uh, we're going to change our direction? Are we going to have a completely different um, structure in terms of the signings of players? Because, as Tony says, you just have to look at the amount of loanees that we've actually loaned to other clubs. Just about all of them at some stage was a project and it's not worked out. How many of these projects have worked out? I think this is going to be a chartered accountant. Me comes out. Uh, I think the one thing is going to be this, this summer. Uh, I think uh, because of COVID, uh, I don't think we'll be signing. I don't think we'll be spending big money on anyone. I don't think we'll be putting anyone in big wages. Uh, I heard somebody say last week that we might pay something like seven or eight million for John Joe Kenny. That's never going to happen. He was on something like seventeen grand a week, twenty grand a week. That's not going to happen. I, I just don't see these things happening. And the point Tony made earlier that big signing the right players and reinvesting. I don't see us reinvesting. I see us, whoever we sell this summer, I think we'll buy half of it and spend the rest of it. And hopefully we've got the right man in place. In terms of Dominic Mackay, I said this last week, I don't understand the planning here. I don't understand the vision, the strategy here. The guy's coming in in the summer when the season is starting. So I don't know what kind of impact he will make at all in the short term. He should have been in now. As I said last week, Peter Lodge announced he was going last summer or something like him could come in just now and implement the vision and implement the strategy over the next six months in the summer is a waste of time so what's actually going to happen do we think do we think nothing's going to happen until this new guy comes in that would be the folly so things must be happening behind the scenes just now and my concern is that who's actually making the decisions behind the scenes if we have identified and appointed this new guy who for whatever reason is not going to take up the job until the summer he involved in who thinks Oh dear, I was looking back at the 97-98 season the other day, I was reading the Jock Brown's book, because I was looking again at what Jock Brown actually does of his job description, he says, sir. and one of the things he was talking about was that when Wim Jansen, obviously Wim Jansen was, had made it plain that he was going to go, uh, and when Jock Brown was trying to plan for the next season, in the sort of February, March time, Jansen didn't want to know him, he wasn't interested, and, and this is the time you plan for next season, so... What kind of planning is getting done just now? I don't know what plan is getting done just now. Nobody's telling me what's getting done just now. No, I would expect them to tell me. But this is what you plan for next season. Not when Dominic Mackay shows up in July, whenever it's going to be. It's just bad planning again. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect, and um, you know, maybe this is just me being, um, in terms of my own expectations, Jim, that you've spoken about before. I would expect Celtic to be in liaison with the, yeah, with a new man coming in in relation to a potential director of football and potential potential new manager, and therefore the signing policy uh, thereafter. But it wouldn't surprise me if we did a few bits of business whereby you sell Frimpong for eleven and a half, you bring in uh, a loanee. Um, uh, Laura, if we were to go down that route, um, would that appease the Celtic support? I mean, I think we're already sick of the amount of times that we rely on loanees, are we not? I would say so. And it's not even particularly um, just because of a, a lack of uh, forward planning. You know, you can't plan too far forward with a loanee, uh, especially if they're only going to be there for six months or a season. Um if you are under any impression that they're going to be leaving, you can't, obviously can't, you know, go on to build a team around them. You know, if we, uh, 
lots of people are talking about building a team around David Turnbull for the future. The only reason those discussions are ongoing is because we have him on a permanent deal. You wouldn't be having those discussions if he was in on an 18-month loan contract. Um, but the frustrating part of the way that it's managed more for me, and this is to to borrow uh, Jim's chartered accountant hat for a minute, even though I am not good with figures whatsoever. <laughs> um, but it's the amount of money that seems to be spent on the loans that is a major issue for me. You know, we we almost end up treating them like a transfer without the benefit of it. We're, we're in a market now where you have to pay an upfront lump sum just to get the player on loan. And then more often than not, you're p- paying the majority of their wages. You only have to look at Shane Duffy. I mean, regardless of the fact that that's been a disaster in any case, uh, I don't think it's a particularly good way to run a business uh, spending that amount of money on a loan that you know is going to end sooner rather than later. Um, I think if the if the financial aspect of the way the loans are handled uh, was better, then you might be able to, to excuse it a little bit more. But, you know, throwing money down the drain on top of the fact that these players aren't going to last a long time at the club is, is a, a combination for disaster, in my opinion. It is, and again, we've used the loan market uh, pretty well actually in developing uh, a lot of our players. You look at some of the first teamers now, and Ryan Christie, the aforementioned uh, Ayer, McGregor, they've gone away. Even Tommy Rogic, to a lesser degree, they've gone away on loan and they've come back, you know, having developed and got games in their legs. Um, Tony, when I look at the kind of loanies now, the, the guys that have gone out. There's obviously, a, you know, um, quite a few young guys out there, but you've also got all these projects, haven't you? Your Shreds and Bio and all these kind of guys. And, and I mean, talking about um, a misuse of your funds that Laura's just said on the loan deals, we've done it with our permanent signings for so, so long now. Uh, and when the, the new um, regime comes in, uh, in relation to transfers, there needs to be, for me, a different structure. And there's been a lot of talk over the last few days, uh, because obviously we need to look at the recruitment. Uh, and with a new structure, there's a suggestion that we might go down the route of having some kind of technical director, director of football, perhaps a buffer between the man managing the football team and the CEO is that the way forward for Celtic do you know what I'd like that because then a technical director would be able to identify players that players that have a position for a reason I think it's a scandal this season at Celtic have been playing with a makeshift defence almost every other week mm-hmm. playing a midfielder and central defence various things like that players have positions for a reason see if you need a right back go and scout right backs I spoke about it go to all the top leagues in Europe go and scout a right back See if you need a central defender, go and scout a central defender. I mean, don't be bringing me big, massive guys who play centre midfield, but you think you can turn them into a, a centre back. Go and get players. Players have got a natural position for a reason. That's what gets to me. And Celtic this season have mucked about with their defence. Is it any wonder that they've conceded the amount of goals that they have? Because in any given week, you couldn't name the back four. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got square pegs, round holes and it's only started to look like a defence recently because you've had Welsh in there who's a central defender he's a defender, he knows what he's doing right, so I mean uh, you know, honestly I cannot fathom it out that it's taken so long for people at the club especially on the coaching side of it to see these things We've also spoken about how how did it take so long for them to realise that Turnbull and Sorrow could actually play? Mm. They took the dead rubber against Leo in December for them to say, do you know what, let's give them a run. You know, you watch them at training every day. 
we watch players. So then it goes back to what are you teaching them? So hopefully, if somebody does come in and is a director of football position, the first thing that they'll do is identify footballers mm. and identify guys who have a set position for a reason, right? I mean, it's it seems it seems so simple, but Celtic are one of the few clubs that haven't perfected that yet and tried various things. Yeah, I think they'll always come back. Go on, Jim. Go on, Jim. I was going to say, I think everything comes back to, everything comes back to the vision, it comes back to the strategy. Yeah. For me, a lone player, why would you want a lone player in the first place? And at the moment, we've got, maybe we've got three or back four potentially. And for me, a club would take, we should be minimising the amount of lone players coming in. I don't mind lone players going out to give them experience. And the only way I would entertain a lone player coming in is if we're thinking of buying them at the end of, at the end of that loan. We're having a try before you buy but I don't think a club like Celtic should be having lots of loan players coming in. And again, that, de- that depends on the vision thing. Because maybe things we, thing you mentioned the other week, Paul, about uh, players living in hotels, etc. So we don't, you know, we don't understand what a lot of players go through. If you're a loan player, they're only there for a short period of time. So you wouldn't expect them to be as involved, committed, enthusiastic or whatever than the guys who are there long term. So I think a club like Celtic shouldn't be looking at loan players. And then, as Laura said, the amount of money that we're spending on, and then also, <laughs> the point you've made in the past, Paul, about how much players are getting paid. If you're a permanent player, no names, and earning eight grand a week, and it's loan players coming in who's earning 30 grand a week, resentment straight away. So you have to balance all that, and that's part of the vision thing. You have to have a vision, and that's whether you're going to have a director of football who's a figurehead, who's a technical director, who's a Jock Brown type of general manager thing because again looking at Jock Brown the other day again what he was involved in you know very very complex stuff so do we expect a director of football to be involved in the same stuff that Jock Brown is involved in because if he's not that will fall to Don Mackay and will Don Mackay act like Peter Law when it comes to trying to transfers over the line so I think that's quite a, quite, quite, quite a complex job that yeah. director of football I think to I think to pick up on what Jim's saying there as well is you know to expect Dominic Mackay to come in and do the same job as Peter Lawwell when negotiating with players is I think a little bit unfair because um, Peter Lawwell is coming has come from a financial background. Uh, contract negotiation and, and finances will be where his strengths lie and where they have always lay. Um, Dominic Mackay doesn't have that background and so you would have to anticipate that to get somebody to do the job in terms of contracts and finances that Peter Lawwell did, you're going to have to get somebody else in to do that for him while he concentrates on other aspects of the club. Obviously, as CEO, Dominic Mackay will have the overarching view of it all, but you would have to expect that he's going to have to co- uh, get somebody to come in with expertise in areas that aren't aren't his strength. But you know, a, a director of football coming in, right? How much will Celtic have shelled out on Jane Duffy coming into this season? Four, five million, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. You take the two million in the wages, right? So you try to tell me that Celtic, you don't even need a director of football, but just somebody in the coaching staff to identify a decent central defender for four or five million quid. You try to tell me that you couldn't have gone out and signed one, somebody long term, who would have made a big difference. But you got Julian for seven million, right, from France. Okay, so there must be people of that ilk, you know, a Bobo Baldi type. Don't think we paid. Don't think we paid anywhere near five million for Van Dyke when we got him. 
So correct. Yeah, right. So there you go. So so that goes back to your scouting network and, and what you and you know and, and how you're going about sourcing players, your recruitment. The players exist. So the five million quid for five million bracket we're saying they're going to have spent on Duffy. You know they must have been able to get a footballer for that, a decent central defender. Now, hopefully some director of football coming in will say, wait a minute, this is the kind of thing you have to stop. You have to eradicate that value for money. Mm-hmm. That doesn't represent value for money. And therein lies the lesson. Any director of football coming in has to get value for money when we go for transfers and players. Well, there's three. There's three names. And there's three names that Celtic were either interested in as confirmed by, for example, John Kennedy, when he was asked about Philip Benkovic. There's Ben Davis, centre-half. Now, £5 million, there's a package that you could have got Ben Davis, no problem whatsoever, Tony. Mark McKenzie, and and we've missed out on these three centre-halves who could have come in, they're your player, they're an investment. If they perform well, if if they perform in Europe, there's a sell-on value to that. We've got none of that with Shane Duffy. We package them up and send them back down to Brighton at the end of the season. It's short-term. Oh, and that's what Jim's talking about. I was going to say, Paul, that basically, the Shane Duffy was a kind of last-minute panic, and that shows a lack of planning in your panic. Mm-hmm. You've named a few players there. They, I would imagine they've been scouted for a long, long time, and we've just taken too long to get those deals over the line. Yeah. That's the issue, and that's why we keep getting off to the Champions League, because we're too slow. So, if you look at <laughs> what's happened over the past few years, it's easy to pinpoint where some of the big mistakes have been made. And thankfully, that person's now going. But just to make sure the person that's coming in uh, is good enough and also the structure and the vision and the strategy and all that stuff is all in place. Otherwise, we're just going to repeat what we've done before. Mm-hmm. And for me, loan deal, just to kind of finish on that one, for a club like Celtic, it should be like a last-minute panic thing. We need somebody now desperately because something unusual has happened, something we hadn't thought was going to happen. Not yeah. to bring him in because it's part of the plan. And the nature of bringing in loan players are the ones that were brought in Paying them silly money as well, so that just kind of adds adds insult to injury. And just to just to pick up as well that I've just seen a comment from Mark um, who comments quite a lot and supports the channel. He's just said, oh, you know, we're all we're all negative about Duffy in hindsight. From a playing point of view, yes, like I think nobody expected him to be as bad as he's been. There's been circumstances that have contributed to that. It's easy to say in hindsight he was a bad signing, but I think what we are talking about here and what we all agree is you don't need hindsight to have seen that the way in which the business was done was bad. Like Jim says, it was a bit of a panic signing. It was far too much money for a loan signing and it was a situation where regardless of whether he came in and had an absolutely storming season or not, he was not going to be a player that we could afford in the long term or that we could build on in the long term. The Ben Davis deals are so... You can say the Ben Davis deal was one that will hurt because that's a deal that should have been concluded, right? You know, no, no argument about that. I mean, so you said if these players have been scouted, Jim, right? Which I don't doubt that they were. What stopped it? Who stopped it? Mm-hmm. And now, you, and these are the questions that need to be answered, right? We've got your theory on who stopped it and why it was stopped, but these players should not be allowed to slip through your grasp if you're acting like a big club or acting with a club with a plan who knows what they're doing in the future and again going back to Jim we keep talking about it Celtic don't seem to know what they're doing or where they're going 
or any forward planning. Also, the fact I also think that you can make a good decision and there's, and there's a not so good outcome or there's a bad outcome. And I think the same as Duffy at the time, when you looked at Shane Duffy, ATO cat for Ireland, uh, EPL experience, he ticked a lot of boxes. So that was not a good decision. It turned out bad. And you have to look to us and say, well, why did it turn out bad? Was it, was, it, was it the shape of the team or was it these injuries? Whatever it was, the actual fact at the time, albeit it was like a last-minute panic thing, you would think, I'm going to take a play we need. It's not turned out Did, too well. That's due to other factors. Just picking up on the short term aspect of that that, that Jim brought up and, and Tony quite rightly said is something we need to eradicate. Laura, talking about a short term vision or a short term mentality, I was listening to Neil Lennon who was asked the question yesterday I think or this morning and he's talking about taking, and this is the worst football cliche of all time, a game by game. He's taking it game by game and I, and I think it's a small aspect of it but it just shows you that, you know, that short term mentality that Celtic seems to fall into. I, I agree with Jim. There's certain occasions where you have a goalkeeper crisis and you've got loads of fixtures coming up. You don't want to throw in a 17-year-old. So you go out and you get a goalie in on loan, an emergency goalkeeper. Same thing happens, I, I guess, from time to time. Uh, you know, I, I remember Michael Gray coming in on loan. Uh, we brought in uh, quite a few loanies under Martin O'Neill, but it was it was basically because we were at that situation where it was the last option, not the first option. We've seems to have, we've seemed to have fallen into the, the habit of it being a a valid first option and we need to change that yeah it's one of these situations where you uh, start to behave a little bit like you can afford uh, or you can attract players that um, that you otherwise wouldn't be able to you have to think that a lot of the players that come to, to us on loan lacks out for example I don't know that he would have given up uh, a fight at Milan uh, to come to us unless he thought it was that we were just a stepping stone for him to get back into the Milan team or back into to a similar level of team now, I know Milan are not uh, not in their strongest position as they have been in the last 30 years or so um, but you know I think we need to stop kidding ourselves that these players are coming for anything other than a chance to get some first team football to get them back on a footing at the level that they would want to be at um, Neil Lennon talking about game by game basis is uh confusing to me to say the least because okay he was scrutinised in the in the press conferences for everything that comes out his mouth but one of the press conferences a couple of days ago he talked about uh, building or, or, or what would happen in the next one, two, three, four years so is he taking it game by game or is he thinking long term I don't think even he knows um, and I think on his part it's wishful thinking to even start thinking long term anyway because I think uh, if, if Dominic Mackay has any sense about him he will have been observing what's going on this season and if he hasn't already he'll be making steps to, to make sure Neil Lennon is not the Celtic manager next season you know, On that point I'm going to throw this over to yourself Tony, the, the short term planning, why then um, are we you know Picking a team with sorrow on the bench and playing, a, you know, a captain who's given great service to Celtic, who turns 36 in a few months' time. Why not play sorrow? Why not give sorrow the games? Give him the experience, uh, you know, uh, the next dozen games or so. Again, I see this as really short-term uh, and vision in terms of Neil Lennon and Celtic. Neil Lennon's thinking on that was baffling. Didn't he say that sorrow was tired or was shown element fatigue? 
Yeah. He's had food poisoning. He's had a car crash. He's had. Yeah, but I don't know what's going to happen next. Three in a row. <laughs> was a old man coming to the end of his care three games in a row. I know. So that's baffling, alongside many other things this season that Lennon has said and Lennon has done with his substitutions. Telling me a young man who's busting to make his mark and impression can't handle three games in a week. Are you kidding me on? See, if you tell a player he's got fatigue, you'll feel it, right? See, if you say to him, you're going to play the next three in the spin, get yourself right up for that. You'll get wound up for it and he'll play and he'll, they'll have no issues. So I, I can't understand how Soros, somebody has to take me aside and sit me down and say, Soros got fatigued because of X, Y and Z. And then I, there was something going about on Twitter and Facebook that Turnbull can't last 90 minutes because he's got some medical thing from the doctor saying it's not feasible. I mean, complete and utter rubbish. Right? You know, unless somebody produces that certificate and says to me, there it's there in black and white. I mean, this is a guy that was walking around the track last week against Motherwell and he was raging to be yep. taken off. Mm-hmm. And he was taken off at 2-1 when the game was precariously hanging in the balance. And you take a potential match winner off, somebody that's going to create that third goal that will give you the beating space, you end up kicking one off the line for two each in the 94th minute. And also, what kind of what kind of doctor worth or salt is going to say, well, they're all right to play a game for 70 minutes, but not 90? That yeah. they're as at risk for the first 70 minutes as they are for the last 20, surely? I know, that's what I mean. I mean, how baffling is that? I mean, no doctor would say that. If you can play 70 minutes, you can play 90, as Laura's just said, they're right. And I get that they're protecting him because he's had such a really bad injury. I get all that. But the guy's desperate to play football now because he's recovered. And he's recovered that fitness. So, and then to play, I mean, uh, you, the original point, why, why is Sorrow not in the team if he's the future? And that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the forward plan. For that, for him not to feature is, you know, it's short-termism if you're going to give Scott Brown all, all these games. You know, you... The manager's the very one that told you he, he can't play that many games. So, well, he's going against his own advice then. And he's annoying the Celtic supporters in the process because they want to see more of Sorrow moving forward. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. Or if not, there should be. So, I, I, again, baffling. He just continues to baffle you with some of the statements that he's made. Contradictory, <laughs> and I don't... I don't think he listens back to what he says during press conferences. Because if he did, then he would know. I'm not sure he listens to it coming out of his mouth. <laughs> We're talking about short termism, short termism, and you know, you know, there's something that Martin O'Neill did do as a manager of Celtic. You think back to O'Neill, you think about all the big guns that he brought in, but uh, there was a lot of kind of short term players, and there is a link here, by the way, and there is a point to this. Uh, one such player was Ramon Vega. Now, I caught up with Ramon earlier on this week at the beginning of this week for a, an interview for a Celtic State of Mind, and that interview will be going out tomorrow. So, although we will be having a day off before the Valentine's uh, clash against St Johnston, we will be putting out content and it's a, an interview with Big Ramon Jim Orr, what's your memories of Ramon Vega, he was only with us for about six months oh, I think so but we were just when you were saying that, that actually occurred to me was, was he maybe one of the first lone players that we've ever had so I can't remember stuff happened before the year 2000 
Remember the loan system was completely removed from Scottish football after a, um, there was a, an issue with Derek Ferguson going to Falkirk. Can you remember that? And then there was no loans for years and years. And then it was reintroduced, I think, in the late 1990s. So that's a good question, Jim. I can't, off the top of my head, think of someone coming in on loan previous to Big Ramon. Again, I was thinking back to the 97-98 season. I was thinking, who did we have on loan that season? Nobody. I can't think of Bengals this season. I can't think of that. Barnes, I can't think of. Obviously, we spent daft money under John Barnes. We didn't think of it. So I think maybe Vega... Was Tony, was Tony Warner the goalkeeper? Was he on loan or was he... Good shout. He came in the league. Good boy, did he not? Well done. I meant to say, yeah. <laughs> I meant to say. He came in the league. 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 He came He's an interesting fact, as we mentioned this last week, uh, what I said a few months ago is how you win a league is two things have to happen. You put as many points on the board as you can and your main rivals don't put as many points on the board as they can. And when you get back to 1995, 96 under Tommy Burns, uh, playing one of the best football since the Lisbon Lions, we put 83 points on the board with over 36 games. Any other season, that wins you the league. The Rangers put 87 on the board. following season... Rangers put 80 on the board, but we only put 75 on the board. The following season, Wim Janssen, he put 74 on the board, but wins the league because Rangers only put 72 on the board. And that's how we won the league back then. And I thought I'd look back last Friday before we came on, because last Friday, this season, we played 25 games and got 52 points. 97-98 season, exactly the same. Played 25 games, 52 points. The big difference is, Rangers has 52 points as well. Hearts has 52 points as well. How exciting was that in February with three teams at the top of the league going for the league? But this has been the season from hell. This has been a disaster. But it's the exact same as it was in 1978. Interesting fact finished. I think that's the, the, the most interesting part of that, um, which is one of the biggest disappointments, is that when generally we have lost the league over the last 20 years, you know, it's gone to the wire. There's been a real title chase. And you remember winning the league against St Johnston on the last day. You, you, the, the game against Kilmarnock at Rugby Park, the game against Motherwell at Fur Park, where we lost it on the last day. I think that's the biggest frustration for me, Tony, is we're kind of like seeing the season out with a whimper. Yeah, I mean, I. I think you ask any Celtic supporter this season the, the more or less the concession of the title in January. They just they, they, they can't handle that fact. You know, if you go down on the last day, then you've took it to the wire. You're giving it your best shot in circumstances or whatever. You, you, you lose it, fine. But I, I don't think for a minute that starting in August that Celtic supporters didn't expect not to take it to at least the last day. I mean, a lot of Celtic supporters just thought they, they would win it. You know, it would be them that would be 20 points clear in January or February or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of arrogance and complacency. Not amongst the supporters, but just a, a general attitude that had maybe pervaded the club. You know, but I don't think anybody expected Celtic to be behind the eight ball so much in January, February. You know what I mean? But they certainly expected to put up a, a challenge. Rangers have cantered. And Rangers have cantered because they've not been put under any pressure at all. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to earlier. Back to 97-98, the moment we knew that we'd stopped the 10, 
There's when they scored the second goal against St. Johnson. Yeah. There's 18 minutes to go. Aye. 18 minutes, we stopped to 10. They stopped to 10 with 18 weeks to go. Yeah. So there you go. There's, there's, there it is. That's, that's to, to, borrow a, to borrow a phrase from Anthony, our, our journey to the 10 has been ripped asunder. That is yeah. exactly what's happened. Ripped asunder. Said that the only one I yet. No. Love it. It's a beautiful phrase, that. I'm going to bring this up because. Um, Ryan Christie divides opinion within the Celtic support. He divides opinion within the Axom team. Tommy comes in to say, take whatever we can get for Christie. Uh, and uh, Danny Harvey, I drive Christie myself. <laughs> and we've got various other comments along those lines, Laura Bradburn. I thought he played pretty well when he came on the other night. He scored a good goal. Uh, Neil Lennon said he looked rejuvenated. Is he a player that I think um, is underappreciated by the Celtic support? Well, he, he, he did his uh, kept up my tradition of tweeting about a player slagging them off right before they do something good, uh, which is exactly what he did the other night. I think he's just another one of these situations with Celtic players where on his day, he can be an 11 out of 10. He can he can change a game, usually with a, a spectacular goal from outside of the box. But as we've seen far too often, uh, more often than not, they go over the bars, more often than they go under it. So... Um, uh, I think if, uh, he's one of these players where would I like to hold on to him and hope that under another manager he would he would fare better. I would think so, but if he went out the door with Lennon at the same time, I wouldn't be too disappointed. I would just want a, a decent bit of cash for him, or, or at least some sort of uh, you know situation we have with other players going forward where we get a decent cut of any future transfer fees. He's not. To me, he's not irreplaceable. He's not. Uh, he's not a James Forrest, for example, as we've seen this season. Uh, James Forrest is a player who I do think was underappreciated by myself as well, um, and has obviously, with hindsight, played such a massive role in in the last decade of the team that we've only really come to appreciate in the one season where he's really hardly been able to have any impact. No, you're right. What's your thoughts on that, Tony? David Turnbull is a player Ryan Christie thinks he is. <laughs> There's another great quote. There's another great quote, isn't it? <laughs> David Turnbull is a player Ryan Christie thinks he is. Right. Seriously. That, that's David Turnbull's a footballer. Ryan Christie believes his own height, thinks he's a footballer, but doesn't do it as consistently as Turnbull has done since December. There's a difference. Right. And Ryan Christie. I don't know what's happened, but his head's been sweetened somewhere along the line. Because when Ryan Christie first came into the team at Murrayfield in the semi-final of the League Cup, that was a hungry player. Wanted to make his mark and prove himself. Had a, crack, a stormer against Leipzig as well at Celtic Park and was riding the crest of a wave at that point. And then somewhere between the lines, he thought, hey, I'm the man. This club can, you know, I'm indispensable. <laughs> That kind of attitude, you find that that's not the case. Yeah, like like you say, it speaks to a kind of uh, questionable attitude that he um, doesn't need to perform very well for very long before he starts getting ideas above his station. You know, and Ryan Christie would have earned the move to wherever he's going by the end of this season, if that's the case. But I'm going to be interested to see the actual real interest in Ryan Christie at the end of the season because see if you're watching them you're thinking yeah there's a player there but 
Laura lunatic there attitude, something wrong with it, you know. I, I don't know, but and and I, I don't know who's been filling his head full of, you know, you can maybe get better wages down south, <coughs> down here, because that that seems to me what's happened to Ryan Christie. Mm. He's regressed. He has he has regressed. The, the big thing as well is Inverness have a fifteen percent sell on clause in Christie's deal, so that that will be interesting in relation to the transfer fee. Um, talking about low knees, we were talking about Ramon Vega. Sorry, what was that, Jim? I think he's a wee bit harsh on Christie. If it wasn't for Christie, we would never win the Scottish Cup. <laughs> I think for the first three or four months of the season, he, he was our best player by a mile. Uh, if he's on the wages that you said he was on before, I could well understand why he's a bit miffed at some of the stuff that's happened. But I think Ryan Christie's contributed a lot this season, so I think I think it would be a bit harsh on him. That's I'm not saying he's a bad footballer, Jim. I'm just saying he's kind of he's hurt some kind of comfort zone, you know, and it shows. You can tell, you know. I found it interesting that the wages I said he was on were also published. Um, a couple of weeks back by that report who published the, the wages of every footballer in Scotland so uh, I'm going to say that's probably accurate um, we're talking about low knees we're talking about Ramon Vega Laura piped in with Tony Warner what about Scott Marshall remember Scott Marshall Gordon Marshall's brother we brought him in yeah. from Arsenal did he, he come only, in he only played against Rangers as well I think one game yeah. one game Seven. did he come in Jim before Tony Warner there's a the question no check in the Celtic wiki yeah. I think he came in 97, didn't he? I think he did. He, he, came, he came in and played one game. Oh, no. You've snagged it from the jaws of defeat there. I'm gutted. <laughs> Possibly. And by the way, that was without Googling it. Um, but there you go. There, There's the low knees um, in terms of Celtic in the past. Now it has become the norm. We've got four in at the club at the moment. Three of them were sitting on the bench. Huge amount of wages going to low knee players sitting on a bench. It's frustrating. It really is frustrating. But moving on, moving on. I've seen a very interesting uh, story the other day there that there's been a, a Celtic documentary in the mix. And at first, when I said it's going to be shown on Al Jazeera TV, that's a bit unusual. But then I looked at the director. It's uh, Jamie Doran who's directing this documentary, focusing on Celtic, the fans. He's done an interview with the Albanian Prime Minister. That Jamie Doran is the same chap who directed Lord of the Wing. Now, if you look at his um, profile on IMDb, it's mainly kind of war-torn documentaries that he focuses on. But there is one that, that stands out, and it's Lord of the Wing, the Jimmy Johnston story. And it, I I think you'll probably all remember the time when Reed Jinky was taken to the recording studio uh, to record the song with Jim Kerr and Charlie Burchill. So that was in, that was part of this documentary. And for me, I actually went through a process last year, or yeah, during lockdown, of accumulating every Celtic videotape. I think there was 70 odd or 80 um, that's on the on the library because there's something we're going to do with them at a later date but uh, one of them one of the last ones that was ever uh, manufactured was Lord of the Wings so I've watched it fairly recently and what I did was I actually met up with I'm trying to remember his name um, his surname is Healy Jeff Healy Jeff Healy was the producer of that documentary and he tells me he tells me Tony that uh, there was loads of uh, footage that never made the film because there was a rush to get the film out so they had done loads of interviews some with Wee Jinky himself one with Shane McGowan and Shane McGowan wrote a song wrote a song about uh, Jimmy Johnston right which has never ever been recorded but he sang it and he played the acoustic guitar on tape and Jeff Haley's still got all the footage and he he lives down south we went doing a visit him uh, last year 
and um, so hopefully at some point we can get all that all that footage and, and use it but Jamie Doran is releasing a new documentary on Celtic that's going to be on Al Jazeera TV um, I don't think there'll ever be a documentary about this season Mulder Tony no and I would no and you wouldn't want there to be a documentary about this season would you to be fair where did it all go wrong probably would be the title of that documentary I would suggest I think you would find it would be called The Men That Sold The Ten Don't Play For Me Dubai yeah (laughs) yeah something like that The Men Tell tell us in the comments any good titles in the comments who would take The Men That sold the ten he would uh, they'll live and die by that won't they so yeah something like that I wonder how many authors were um, halfway through or three quarters of the way through their ten in a row books and the manuscripts have been chucked on a fire alongside Brendan Rogers' autobiography. <laughs> but um, let's look ahead to Valentine's Day, uh, Laura, and uh, St Johnston. St Johnston away, another tricky wee tie. I think it was the last away game I was at. It was against St Johnston when Daffer mentioned that Ryan Christie scored the free kick in the cup. Um, tricky game, away from home. Uh, yeah, Perth's not necessarily a place you want to be in Valentine's Day, but you know, you've got to take what you can get, I suppose. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a difficult one. I think all the games are difficult for us these days. You just never know what, what team's going to turn up. Um, I would hope that we can put in a slightly better first half performance than we did the other night against St Mirren. Um, but as Natasha alluded to the other day, you know, you. you you are concerned because there are some very easy ways in which teams can can sort of figure us out, if you like. Just need to press us, not give us too much time, make sure supply doesn't get to Eddie and, and, and you've kind of sorted it out. So you hope from that point of view that they haven't clocked on to that and that, uh, that we're able to you know, build on what we've been doing the last few weeks. I would like to see a jetty given another run out. I would like to see Turnbull get full ninety minutes if he can. Um I would personally want to see Sorrow back in the team instead of Scott Brown because personally unless unless he gets abducted by aliens, that's the next thing that's coming. Um I don't see any reason why he can't be in the game. What about yourself, Tony? I mean, we've not had it easy this season against St Johnston. I remember the game away from home. It was a cagey affair, as many games have been. Substitutions changed the game. Griffiths opened the score with a header. And then at Celtic Park, uh, it was one of the games where we've dropped points. Uh, Do you think this run of form, if we can call it that, will continue on Valentine's Day? For nothing. Heaven is a place in Perth. (laughs) So... (laughs) You just don't know what Celtic team are going to turn up, do you? And Callum Davison has got St Johnson playing very well. You know, so uh, it's going to be a tough one. And they, they've made a habit of making life tough up there for Celtic. You know, so uh, you look to the Griffiths and Clamalla game where you it was a stick on nil nil until the substitutions were made and you were bailed out a big hole that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, so as early as that in the season there was things going on. You know, you... you you got away with it that day. You got away with it at Tanadice when the Jetty scored a late goal as well. So, you know, it's not been plain sailing for Celtic at any kind of stage this season. So I expect another tough game against an opponent who they're well-drilled, play well, and they say Calum Davidson's doing a right good job. So I, you couldn't you couldn't predict a score, let's put it that way. It's very I'd difficult, like, yeah. I'd like to see a Jetty play. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see them play the way as Jim was saying the way they played for the first hour at Motherwell and for 
you know, the last half hour at Paisley the other night. Can they piece this together and play like that for 90 minutes? Let's see, let's hope. Here's hoping we'll be covering the game, of course, as we always do on a Celtic State of Mind. Jim, or final words, uh, what's your thoughts on Valentine's up in Perth? <laughs> I would echo Belinda Haggerty there. I, <laughs> uh, I said 2 1 last week, and it was 2 1. We'll 2 1 again. Tight game. It may well have been Belinda Haggerty who I invited originally to this broadcast, but <laughs> thankfully Tony joined us. Um, I've got to thank everybody. We haven't had as much time to go through your comments because we do have three uh, very vocal pundits on on a Friday, and it's always welcome to see Laura Bradburn, Jim Orr, and Anthony Haggerty on a Celtic State of Mind. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. As I say, we'll be back tomorrow with Ramon Vega, and then we will be back on Sunday, Valentine's Day, very briefly for the match day experience. Thanks, everybody for joining us on a Celtic State of Mind. Got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto. Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.